Welcome to the voice of MPE, the official podcast of Merchant Payments Ecosystem, Europe's largest merchant payments conference. Today, we're at the 15th annual MPE conference, MPE 2022. In these podcast series, we bring you interviews with payments industry leaders and professionals from the entire world. For more information, head over to www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com. In this episode, we'll talk about the rise of digital products and alternative payment methods and unveil the promising future of payments with your hosts, Rugier Rupe van der Voort and Morten Laufer. So welcome everyone to this special podcast live from the MPE in uh, Berlin. My name is Rogier. I'm the CEO of a company called uh, PCN and we do headhunting and recruitment services for the payment space. My co-host today is... Martin Laufer and I'm taking care of the German-speaking markets for PCN. And we have two very exciting guests today on the podcast. Moyad, would you mind introducing yourself to us? Yeah, sure. So I'm Moyad. I work at PPro, a company that enables access to different markets and payment methods. Globally, we work with various different providers in the ecosystem, PSBs, acquirers, banks, and we're also kind of looking to develop solutions for also uh, marketplaces, Payfax as well. Great. Exciting to have you. Thanks. Christophe? And I'm uh, Christophe Bourbier. I'm the managing director of Tunes Collection, previously Limonetic, but then Limonetic got acquired by Tunes one year ago. So I'm uh, running the collection part of Tunes. Great. Well, exciting to have you. uh both to talk about uh, cross-border payments. Muya, to start with you, why is cross-border payments so relevant right now? So I think right now, there's definitely been a key trend over the last couple of years with things like the pandemic, constraints around supply chains and so forth. So I think merchants or even consumers are looking elsewhere as well to kind of sell to or buy from. So I think that's really, really relevant right now. And that growth seems to be continuing onwards as well. So that's what I think in terms of generally the importance of cross-border. Did the pandemic accelerate the relevance of this? Yeah, I think it did. It definitely accelerated it. There was a lot more easier access to reach merchants and businesses on the other side of the world, I think. And through enablement of localized payment methods, which is what we obviously specialize in, that certainly helped the situation. But also at the same time, I think in certain markets, there's a lot more inclusion of, for example, unbanked populations Mm -hmm. where they utilize certain payment methods, specific payment methods to essentially engage in an e-commerce environment, I would say so. Christoph, do you agree? I completely agree. I would make a difference also in the fact that local alternative payment methods are growing locally and become more digital and everything has become more digital and the cross-border by itself. I see as well explanation of the cross-border you know, growth. So coming from, I would say, those digital type of marketplace or solution like Uber, like Deliveroo, like Takeaway, you name them, that become more and more by themselves cross-border because the solution that they have launched maybe in one country, they, they can launch it in many other countries kind of easily. Same for all those digital merchants. It's not new. I mean, gaming, gambling, all those things. It's not new. It's just that they have an immediate access to the rest of the world. And so by doing so, because it's digital, there is no product to launch, to send, to deliver. Then by definition, those guys they are immediately, you know, like worldwide and wants to leverage on those alternative uh, payment methods exist locally and that deploy. Last one, I believe as well, is B2B. To me, we see a lot of B2B, you know, company uh, selling more online. 
And we experience, I believe it's very personal what I'm saying, but there's a, a dynamic that was the same with B2C like 20 years ago, where, you know, the, the shops were starting to launch their own website. And B2B, we are in that process. And B2B corporates, not all of them, but most of them, they have immediately a international reach. Therefore, a lot of cross-border transaction going on. So to me, as, as you said, Amoyad, it's a mix of more digital, local payment method that helps to buy online. But also on the cross-border, there are so many more merchants that become immediately international because they are digital, they are easy to sell everywhere, I believe. So cross-border payments is more of a general term, let's say, and part yeah. of that is alternative payment methods. What are some of the hottest kind of payment, alternative payment methods that you have seen being developed? You talk about B2B, for example, but maybe also in the B2C space that you've seen being developed over the last couple of years or that you maybe see on the rise at the moment? Crystal? So, yeah, we had a previous this <laughs> yeah. afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so there are many different hot, I would say, payment methods. There are the buzz type of payment method right now, and I just need to go in the... You know, in the show to see that we are talking a lot about buy no pay later. We are talking a lot about open banking, obviously, because it's a big trend. Yeah. But then if you look at numbers, even though we believe those payment methods are, are going to grow, if you look at numbers, wallet remain definitely the big, big, big payment method in the world. And wallet, it's a big kind of black box world. That means a bit of everything. But we see different typology of wallet. You know, you have those wallet that Apple Pay or uh, Amazon Pay or X Pay. You put whatever in front of the pay yeah. where actually you put your credit card into a, a mobile phone and then you have a cool digital experience thanks to that wallet. And then you have all those other wallets that are more QR code based. You have no credit card. It's again wallet. We call that wallet like M-Pesa, like PayPal, like Alipay, like WeChat. And then after you have that third category that comes from, you know, the mobile money in Africa that used to buy some airtime thanks to Nokia. It was enough. Buy airtime. And now with smartphone, then those guys that used to enable the airtime purchases, they're able to do some true payment thanks to smartphones. So wallet is, uh, I mean, you had some numbers amazing as well that you shared during the presentation that are exciting. Yeah, I think just one correction as well. We don't call them alternative, right? We call them localized local payment methods or digital payment methods mm -hmm. and i think the fact that they're local they're hot they're going to be hot in their local market in some cases they completely outnumber other traditional international branded card schemes in terms of volumes market share for example to give you a sense in markets like portugal where mbways had tremendous growth over the last couple of years i think they represent about 23% of e-commerce market share And again, that's a wallet. It's in fact the wallet in Portugal. So if you want to go into these, some of these localized markets, especially outside of, for example, Western Europe or North America, the hottest payment method is actually the localized payment method. And An alternative is a Visa Mastercard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. And, you know, that's a good point because, you know, you go into places like Indonesia on one side or even Brazil or Mexico on the other side, where actually... People, consumers don't have access to those banking networks, as I mentioned before, but they have access to these different ways in which they can engage with, you know, digital merchants, essentially. So I think, yeah, the Visa, MasterCard, the international brand schemes is almost exclusively reserved for more affluent populations in those countries. 
whereas the localized ones, which represent a large portion of the population, they allow those types of consumers to play in the global commerce as well, or pay in the global commerce as well. In that sense, so. So the fact that the hardest payment method is the localized payment method, what does that exactly mean for example, Pipro? So for us, it's bread and butter. It's what we do. We, as I mentioned right at the top, we enable PSBs, we enable acquirers, gateways, banks to be able to offer these localized payment methods to their merchants. So your job is basically trying to figure out who's the hardest local payment method exactly, yeah, right now. Yeah, I think there's thousands. I think we've mentioned as well, there's probably about 500 or so that are probably very relevant. PPRO doesn't connect into all 500, for example. So we like to be quite specific in certain markets. One, because our customers demand it, because their customers demand it, but also because we do a bit more analysis work on our side just to figure out which ones are actually going to be a success so that you know we build it and hopefully providers will come and connect into it. And maybe that's a great segue into our next questions. How do you decide which markets to go after? For us, and this is what we try to do, right? We, we take the complexity away from a PSP deciding where they need to go. But usually, at the end of the day, the customer knows what they need. And the customer in this case is going to be a merchant because they are expanding into various different markets, whether it's fuel from pandemic or just general you know, strategy. They will expect to see an option available to them to be able to access payment methods that are in markets that they're trying to expand into. So one feedback is we get from merchants, but like I said, the other feedback as well is we do our own research in certain markets as well to figure out what's the hottest payment method in that sense. And Christoph, for you, moving into new markets, how do you guys handle that? What are the markets to watch right now out there? Are there merchants reaching out specifically for specific markets? So there are trends and there are the hottest markets, I would say, and this could be different because we try as well, you know, to answer the client needs, clients being also gateways, acquirers, MTOs, merchants, but also merchants and marketplaces at Tunes. We go for big merchants that have an international reach, like Uber is a client of Tunes, or Takeaway or Deliveroo or Comrade. So those guys, they ask for payment methods sometimes, they know. They have some payment specialists, they are in the show as well, and they know where they want to go. And at Tunes, we have this year 56 new payment methods to integrate this year. It can be in Europe, but it can be also in any other corridor, Africa, Middle East, APAC, LATAM. And so we have to fill out that roadmap. So based on the demand, based also on what we believe. And what we believe in terms of what is hot is where people have got some hard time to go. That's what we love. Pakistan, Bangladesh, those countries, they are a bit small country, we could say. One could say it's small, but also it's crazy country where it's hard to get the money out. It's complex local setup. The, the local, the, you know, the banks locally are, are not happy with letting the money or the dollars go away. And these type of countries, that's the type of country that we are keen on going because they are not the easy one. And so if we can crack them, which we do, then some merchants might be very interested by that because others cannot make it happen. That's what we love at Tunisia. Finding the niche, basically. Finding the niche with some high, uh, you know, walls. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> which which will, will make those niche a bit more stickier. I believe that's where is your USP, because for the plain vanilla, the easy country, Europe, but US, 
Visa, MasterCard, many gateways can do that. Merchants don't need us to, to do that, obviously. So let's say you crack Bangladesh. Do you then automatically also crack Pakistan or is every single one of these countries a specific case in itself and requires a lot of work for you guys? It's always specific. Bangladesh has not the same central bank as Pakistan, obviously. Not the same typology of payment method, not the same regulation, not the same limit, not the same player, actor, etc., etc. So when you want to crack a country like this, which we did for Pakistan in three months, then you have to go into there, you have to talk to the banks, to the regulator, to the good partner, and make it happen as soon as you can, because some of your clients are waiting for it most of the time. So it's not the same. It's, it's really a patchwork of different countries. That is, uh, I believe that what makes our, our job kind of yeah. exciting at the same time. It's yeah, I think like we have a saying at PPRO where we say we want to go as close to the bone as possible, right? From an integration point of view, from a regulation point of view, from a money point of view. And I think we probably share the same ethos in the sense that if we want to offer something local, it needs to be local. It can't just, just be cross-border. The cross-border element is important because you give access to, you know, people in Pakistan or Bangladesh to buy things from someone in Europe. You know, that's really important. But also at the same time, it's the other way around where a merchant also wants to go as global as possible, as quickly as possible, without the complexities, because that's what we're trying to remove for them, essentially. So if you look at Bangladesh, Pakistan... Is the payment methods that they use in principle very similar to what we do here? Is there more a complexity on the technical side of things? Or is the way that they pay also totally different? Different answer for the two different countries. Again, we don't do uh, only uh, Bangladesh and Pakistan. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking those examples now, yeah. <laughs> we have 70 uh, other countries that we cover in the world. Let's <laughs> not list them all. I think we'll stay here for another 10 minutes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, do you have time for me to <laughs> No, but uh, for, for if, if we take the example of Pakistan, again, it depends also if are we talking about B2B payment, it's going to be more related to bank transfer, open banking type of payment method, a bit like what we see here in Europe and the rest of the world. And then wallet is not that developed. So even for B2C, by the way, it's very close to those bank transfer typology of payment. We don't see many wallet there. It's different in the rest of Asia where... Obviously, uh, they, they love uh, smartphones over there. And Bangladesh is a bit, uh, it's still a bit different. It's still a bit different. So, Christoph, you came in to this podcast saying that obviously the rise of digital products also obviously makes every payment solution by default a potential global product, right? So, moving into expanding internationally as a payment company, what is something that you would give advice on? If, let's say, I'm going to start my own payment company and I want to be global and I want to be able to offer merchants more than just one country, what are the things that you consider key and crucial? For the merchant side, your question is what would be key for a merchant to consider? Yeah, let's do both if you like to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this was your answer. This, no, this was your question. Is going to be my answer. <laughs> now, on the merchant side, I believe when you become global, Payment, as we know, it's not an easy one. It's complex. It's not just about technology, as maybe some people might believe. It's about, we mentioned it, technology. It's about reconciliation. It's about compliance. It's about, it's complex. And that touched many different fields. And so my first advice for those companies that have enough power to become really international is at least to, to hire 
might sound obvious, but that's your job, by the way, guys, <laughs> uh, to hire some payment specialists because they will need payment specialists internally to deal with some people like people, like tunes and so on, to understand what, has, uh, you know, what is at stake and to understand how they have to grow their payment uh, engine in a way. So that would be surprisingly because I would like you know, to, to, to sell as much as I want, as I can, sorry, to, to, for merchants. But I believe a merchant that wants to become international, they need to be equipped with some payment specialist into the organization. That's key. What do you think we are? <laughs> so I'm going to plug PPRO here now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially for like payment companies that want to strategize in terms of global expansion and so forth. The first thing I would say to them, come to us. <laughs> we'll, sure. we'll, give you that, we'll give you that access. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, local... If anyone wants to kind of go to different markets outside their normal market, the home market, being able to have local people, local knowledge, local compliance, local license is absolutely key to basically make sure the bottom line is as high and as positive as possible. And what I mean by that is conversion rates are going to be high. If you go local, no doubt you're going to have higher conversion rates because one, you accept maybe a closed local scheme network or you are accepting payments in a local country that has restrictions on foreign currency being leaving the country so you increase your revenue or your margin the more you go local in that sense what you said that's complex to understand but those payment people in the organization on the merchant side, they need to understand what yeah. you're saying. They need to have this yeah. in mind, otherwise they're not going to understand what's going to happen. And, yeah. uh, and yes, we want them to come to us because we are going to make their life much easier, yeah. for mm -hmm. sure. We are going to offer them some time to market uh, offer. But if they don't understand the nuance of what you said, they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. I like Christoph's answer better. For all your hiring needs, we're here to help. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, guys, thanks so much. It's 4.30. We had a good trip here so far. Um, what are your plans for after this event? Any, any plans to see Berlin? I mean, my plans, there's a dinner gala tonight. So I'm going to get some free food. Pick uh, up an award, maybe? <laughs> free drinks. What's that? Pick up an award, maybe? No, <laughs> no, no, not this year. I think our CEO was up for influencer. He came, I think, number four out of 14th, which is fine. We're good with that. But yeah, we're not up for an award this year. But yeah, that's me. <laughs> Flying back to, not back, but uh, flying to uh, APAC next week to meet some clients over there. Exciting. Exciting, tiring, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be there. I will be there in APAC next week. Yeah, guys, well, thanks so much. Thanks for having us and uh, enjoy the rest of MPE. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank thanks. you. Thanks for tuning in to the official MPE podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the show and check out our video interviews with other industry leaders on YouTube. For more content, follow Merchant Payments Ecosystem on LinkedIn and Twitter, read our Positivity magazine, and subscribe to the MPE newsletter at www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com.